Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. You know, I have a friend of mine down in uh, Dallas, Texas. His name is uh, Jim Whitten, and uh, he runs an organization called The Old School, or Old School. In fact, I'm wearing one of his shirts right now, theoldschool.com, where he teaches young people how to be an old school person with regard to etiquette and manners and discipline, these kind of things. He does a great job out of it, at it. Anyway, he's a voracious reader, and I'm on an email list that um, he has provided where he sends quotes uh, every day from the books he's been reading. And over the past year, I probably got more quotes from the book we're going to talk about today than almost any other book, maybe with the exception of Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Anyway, the book we're going to talk about today, really the content, we're not just talking about the book, we're talking about the content, is a book written by two friends of mine, John Stone Street and Brett Kunkel. And the book is called A Practical Guide to Culture. As I say, my friend Jim Whitten has quoted this book uh, several times, scores of times over the past uh, year or so. The book's been out for about a year. And it's a very practical guide, which is what it's supposed to be, to how we can navigate the culture, not only as adults, but with our young people. And uh, Brett, as you know, Brett Kunkel has been a longtime friend and a longtime um, faculty member at CIA, the Cross-Examined Instructor Academy. For years, he was, with, he was with Stand to Reason. Now he's created a new organization called maventruth.com, and we're just going to start out by asking him what that means. Uh, Brett has uh, a degree from Biola University, a master's degree from the Talbot School of Theology. He's been working with high school kids and junior high kids for about 25 years. He's done a great job with that. He's got five kids himself. He and his wife, Erin, live out in uh, California so it's great having Brett back on. We had him on a number of years ago. Brett, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. And, you know, Frank, I'm really interested in meeting this Jim guy. Sounds like <laughs> a really awesome guy. He is. He is. He's been reading your book, you and the Stone Street's book, A Practical Guide to Culture. And uh, if I had to name this book, I wouldn't name it A Practical Guide to Culture. I'd name it something like A Practical Guide to Your Kid's Heart or something like that. Because... Yeah. That's really what you're trying to do here. You're trying to show people how to deal with the most difficult issues of the day with young people. And I know uh, authors don't always name the, the book, but I think it would have been better named something like that. First of all, what's the book about? And then we'll talk about what Maven Truth is about. What is the book about, the Practical Guide to Culture? Yeah, well, I, you know, people ask, yeah, what the book is about, why did you write it, all that kind of stuff. And I think you're right. I, I like that I like that title because that's really the heart behind it. Um, I have five reasons why I, you know, I, I was willing to jump into this project with John. Here are my mm-hmm. five reasons. Alexis, Paige, Micah, Ella, and Jonah. Mm-hmm. Right? Those are my five kids. And um, those are the kids that the Lord has entrusted me primarily to disciple, to be able to send back out into the culture. 
and um, and and not just survive it, not just you know cling to their faith by the skin of their teeth, but to go in and create culture, to go in to proclaim the gospel, to go in to have an impact. And uh, so I think the the idea behind the book really is to help Christians understand what culture is and what is our posture towards culture. How do we think about culture? Um, and then what are some of the key tools that we, we need? And that's really kind of the first part. Uh, the second part is looking at uh, the undercurrents of culture. In fact, the, we open up with an ocean analogy. And, uh, you know, I've, been, I've lived in Southern California for a long time now. Uh, when I moved there in junior high, I uh, realized that there was, a, there was a fairly large body of water that's close <laughs> by to Southern California. It's called the Pacific Ocean. And uh, I discovered surfing. The guys were out on these foam planks surfing these waves. And I started surfing and just fell in love with it. And I thought, one day when I have kids, you know, it would be so cool to surf with my kids. And after I got married um, out of college, my, and my wife and I had kids, I started taking my kids into the ocean and realized very quickly that there's actually a very intentional process that you have to take your kids through if you want to reach this long-term goal of having them surf with you. You can't just put your kid, uh, when they're two or three years old, on a surfboard, push them into the ocean, and say, go for it, right? Um, instead, what you have to do at the beginning is actually protect them. you got to protect them from the ocean. you got to protect them from the waves and the currents and, uh, uh, before they ever learn how to surf. Now, this is, uh, and, and you can kind of see maybe where we're going with this in culture, but here's the, the mistake you can make. If all you do is protect your kids from the ocean, uh, you'll never reach the long-term goal of them surfing and navigating the water by themselves, right? And right. so my short-term goal is protection. My long-term goal is that they would navigate the ocean and the waves and all that by themselves. So there has to be training and teaching and equipping. And so that's what we're trying to do in the book is we're saying, hey, yeah, what is culture? What's our relationship to it? But then what is the kind of training that we need to do with a kid's heart and mind so that we can send them out? Because uh, there's a lot of Christians out there who are well-intentioned, who love their kids, who all they do is try to protect, protect, protect. And then when their kids are out from underneath their protection, they wonder why maybe the kids go off the rails a little bit. Or why they start making, you know, a choice that's contrary to how they've been raised. And so we need to do two things, protect, but that's the short-term goal. Uh, the long-term goal is then train, equip them uh, to know what they believe, why they believe, to think worldviewishly, to engage the culture, all that good stuff. And so what we do in part two is say, hey, there are things that, that are not as visible. They're like the undercurrents. Like in the ocean, when you're in the water, you got to be careful what's going on underneath you not just what you can see. And so there are these major undercurrents that um, aren't as visible but are having a huge impact on us and our kids. And then uh, the third section of the book is really what we call the pounding waves. It's the, the things that are much more visible. These are the, the, the prominent cultural conversations like gender identity or same-sex marriage or these kind of things that we have to help our kids navigate. Um, and then, uh, then closing out the, the, the book with Worldview Essentials. These are some of the key tools. If you've got a toolbox, these are some of the key tools that you need in order to equip your kids. So that's well, what we're book, trying to do in the book. 
Yeah, the book is called yeah. The Practical Guide to Culture, and my guest today is Brett Kunkel. Uh, he's it's co-authored. The book is co-authored with John Stone Street. John is with uh, Chuck Colson's found uh, uh, organization, uh, and John puts out an email every day, along with Eric Metaxas and others. Uh, to deal with cultural issues. And uh, Brett does it from his new organization, Maven Truth. And Brett, we just got about a minute before the break. Give us a kind of an overview of what Maven Truth is. First of all, what does Maven mean? And what's, what does the website do? What does the organization do? Yeah, so the URL is maventruth.com. The organization is just Maven. And Maven is a word that is, refers to somebody who is knowledgeable or an expert in a certain field. And so that's what we want to be. We want to be mavens of Christian truth, pass that on to our young people. We want to equip parents to become mavens, uh, uh, youth workers to become mavens for their students, and to pass on truth. And uh, so we are focused uh, a lot on young people and then the people who are trying to equip young people and disciple them. And it's maventruth.com. That's the website, correct? Maventruth.com, yeah. That's where you can find Brett and what he's doing. And as I say, Brett uh, is out there speaking quite a bit. And with this new book, uh, John Stone Street is the co-author, A Practical Guide to Culture. There's a wealth of great information in here, not only for parents, but for young people. So you want to pick yourself up a copy. Uh, as I said, Brett is also one of our instructors at the Cross-Examine Instructor Academy, which is happening next week in Dallas. Those of you who are coming know about that. For those of you that don't know about it, if you want to be a part of uh, that, you'll have to sign up for next year because we only run that once a year. We train people in how to present the evidence for Christianity in a winsome way, in an effective way, and how to answer the, diff the most difficult questions to it. All right, you're listening to Cross-Examine with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. We're going to talk with Brett Kunkel more about how to deal with some of the hard cultural issues with our young people right after the break. Don't go away. We're back in two minutes. Thank you for listening to the Cross-Examine podcast. This material is made available to you for free by the contributions of listeners like you. If you wish to support future podcasts, just go to crossexamine.org and click on the Donate button or simply use the Donate feature directly on our app. Thanks. If you're low on the FM dial, like below 92 FM, and you're looking for national public radio, go no further. We're actually going to tell you the truth here. That's our intent anyway. You're listening to Cross-Examine with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. The website is crossexamined.org. That's crossexamined with a D on the end of it.org. By the way, if you haven't signed up for our weekly email, you ought to do that. Go to crossexamined.org and click on subscribe. We don't share your email address with anybody else, but what we do do is we send you one email a week normally related to, or we have a video in there, a short Q&A video from the college campus that you can share with others. People really like that. I also want to mention we have the new Fearless Faith course about to begin September uh, 4th. You can be a part of that if you're part of the premium version of the class. Uh, in other words, you can join me, Jay Warner Wallace, and uh, Mike Adams live for Q&A sessions if you take the premium version of the class. Just go, click on crossexamine.org, go to online courses. You'll see Fearless Faith there. Okay, back to my friend Brett Kunkel talking about this book, A Practical Guide to Culture. Very quotable book, a lot of good stuff in it. First of all, Brett, let's talk about culture. What is it and why should Christians care about it? Yeah, it's one of those uh, often used words, but uh, we don't rare, we we don't define it very well. In fact, I think for a lot of Christians, kind of their default is that culture turns out to be this synonym for all the bad stuff that's out there. So when we think of culture, we think of debauched Hollywood, 
We think of you know, the musicians or the movies that are just ruining the culture. Maybe we think about politics, you know, that kind of stuff. And so we reduce culture to all the bad stuff that is out there. And certainly we would want to say, there, yeah, there's a lot of bad stuff out there. But that's not a that's a reductionistic view of culture, and that I think will actually affect how you approach culture, how you engage it. If you think culture is all the bad stuff out there, then you're going to be suspicious, you're going to be frustrated, you're going to be irritated, you're going to be aggravated, angry, and often there's this uh, there can be this impulse for Christians to condemn that, right? Condemn culture, and then withdraw from it. And so this is why I think it's really important to think through what culture is. Culture is not just all the bad stuff out there. Um, culture, if we, if we look at what culture is, it really is um, what we make of the world. It, it refers to all the different worlds human beings make of the world. And this is one of the things that makes us so unique, uh, unique from the, uh, and distinct from the animal kingdom, is that we embody uh, our beliefs, we embody our ideas in in culture, in civilizations. And so, you know, in the book, we talk about four aspects of culture that maybe help us get a little better handle of what culture is. Uh, because in culture, we have uh, ideas, right? Ideas are part of the culture. So ideas that are uh, thrown about, ideas that are propagated, ideas that are argued for. But then not only are there the ideas, there are what we call champions. So these are individuals and people who are uh, uh, championing ideas or causes uh, who are having an impact. Uh, you also have institutions. So you've got the institution of education or religious institutions or nonprofits or you know government or all these kind of things. And then you also have artifacts. These are the things that we make, things like books and poetry and uh, music and buildings and all of that. And, and that gives you kind of an idea, uh, a little better handle of what, what makes up culture. And again, go back to that ocean analogy. So all of that makes up the, the ocean of culture that we swim in. Culture is like, like an ocean. And we, are, uh, we, we swim in it on a daily basis. We're immersed in it. It gets us wet. And then we kind of we get that wetness on each other, right? And this is where then culture turns around after we've made culture, we've created culture, and then it shapes us. And this is, I think, really important to think about. Culture is powerful because it catechizes us. It's, uh, it, we create culture, and then culture turns around and creates us and makes us. And so uh, it directly impacts us. And, and I think one of the most powerful things about culture is it simply, and one of the ways it impacts us powerfully, is that it simply presents to us what, is, you know, what should be normal. Right? We're all walking around with the, you know, these things that we call smartphones. And not many people in our culture step back and even ask the question, uh, should I own a smartphone? Or how does this smartphone impact me? And how does it shape me? We just look around. Everyone's got one. It's just kind of normal. It's the thing to do. And we just go along with it, right? We just kind of get caught in that current of culture. And so that is how culture you know, catechizes us and uh, powerfully shapes us. Yeah, you, you have on your website, Maven Truth, and it's probably in this book. And the book, again, is called The Practical Guide to Culture with uh, Brett Kunkel and John Stone Street, the two authors. Brett's my guest today. 
Ravi Zacharias says, quote, this generation listens with its eyes and thinks with its feelings. And uh, so much of what we think about life, we get through images, and that's partly through the iPhone or the droid or whatever you're carrying around, uh, social media, TV, movies. And that kind of short circuits quite frequently the logical process. And we uncritically accept things without, um, without much thought. We just say, oh, this is the way things are. And so culture is important because it can shape the way we live, the way we think. And ultimately, it can even impact our eternity especially if we don't renew our minds. And I know you write about this in the book, A Practical Guide to Culture, Brett, that we need to renew our minds. I think you actually say in here that our minds are being renewed. The question is by who? <laughs> Who's renewing yeah. our minds? Is it is it the media or is it God? That's the question. Yeah, it's not a question of if. It's a question of by what. Mm-hmm. What are our minds being renewed? And when you look at young people, and it's, and it's really not just young people anymore. Um, the screen and images really stage the world. Yeah. And in fact, uh, Neil Postman in his you know, prophetic book, Amusing Ourselves to Death, he talks about how the television uh, was our culture's principal mode of, of knowing about itself. Because what the, the television does is it stages the world, and then we, we take that as the way the world is supposed to be staged. That's mm. how we're supposed to live. And I would just say, now it's not just television, it's it's the screen. I mean, right. the screens are omnipresent, and what they're doing is they're they're renewing minds. They're renewing minds. So you, uh, I mean, you just think about Gen Z, our, our kids right now, you know, twenty and under, uh, and also millennials above them. I mean, they're reporting that they spend no less than six hours a day on their smartphone. So what's happening when they're in front of that smartphone for six hours a day? Their minds are being renewed. They are absorbing things, but but the, the the scary thing is that they're up, they're absorbing it, and they're it's uncritical absorption absorption. They're just like right. sponges. So, and this is where you know you look at something like social media. A kid is scrolling through Instagram for you know however long uh, they are, they're doing it per day, or they're on some kind of social media platform. And what that social media platform is doing is it's staging the world. So they're seeing what their friends post. There's, you know, for girls, the the uh, the, the challenge is to uh, you know present yourself in such a way that you get likes and uh, comments, and of course, in in today's overly sexualized culture, uh, to post things that make you look sexy, you'll get more affirmation, and uh, and then when you see all your friends doing the same thing, that's staging the world. You think you need to do that, and so um, your mind is being renewed, and you're your life is being shaped and ultimately uh, you start living out those ideas. And, and this is where, it, but it's, it's subtle, right? It's not that you're going to give right. a kid a social, a social uh, media platform. And in, you know, two days they're going to, this is going to happen, but it happens over time uh, slowly. And so, uh, yeah, this is, and we talk about in the book, the need to think very carefully about, uh, you know, technology, the information age, uh, screens, entertainment, because screens are omnipresent in our kids' lives. In fact, the book is called The Practical Guide to Culture because it is practical. This morning I was reading Chapter 14, Brett, about entertainment. And uh, you talk about what you can do with regard to entertainment. Um, 
I, I, this, you just mentioned Neil Postman, who in 1985 wrote a book called Amusing Ourselves to Death. And uh, he, I guess, updated that book about 20 years later. Anyway, here's, here's a quote you have in the book. When a population becomes distracted by trivia, now think about it, friends. Most of what we consume on social media is trivial. It's not really important. When a population becomes distracted by trivia, when cultural life is redefined as a perpetual round of entertainments, when serious public conversation becomes a form of baby talk, I got to stop right now. I mean, when when you just look at the kind of a discourse that we have uh, publicly, it's almost like baby talk. You actually have, uh, and Postman wrote this 30 years ago, you actually have universities now giving kids crayons and coloring books and teddy bears whenever they're experiencing something that could be emotionally difficult. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. Anyway, Postman goes on to say, when in short, if people become an audience and their public business of vaudeville act, then a nation finds itself at risk. Culture death is a clear possibility. Now, you go on in this chapter, Brett, to give us some practical things we can do uh, to help our children and even ourselves through uh, this just cult of entertainment that we have, that everything is just one big distraction, which of course implies, well, distracted from what? What are we really, what should we be doing instead of being entertained all the time? And we've just got about a minute before the break. So just just give us one or two action steps and we'll come back to it uh, after the break. Yeah, well, I think one of the biggest things that we have to do when it comes to entertainment, when it comes to technology, when it comes to social media, is take regular breaks. And so these have to be scheduled uh, because, again, it just is normalized in our culture and in our homes so that when there's any downtime or free time, what's the default setting for us? We go right to the screen. We turn on a movie. We turn on a show. We jump on the, the smartphone. We check social media. And so what we need to do in our homes is create spaces where there it's, it's entertainment-free. It's screen-free. We need to create even times where um, uh, we take a break from screen. And so um, we can talk about some of the practical ways to do that, but I think that's a huge thing that parents have got to implement in their homes with their kids from the very beginning. Because you've got two-year-olds now who are swiping through iPads and iPhones. Yeah, I understand. It's a, it's a great way to, at least in the short term, entertain your kids and keep them quiet so you can get a rest or get things done. But if that becomes a habit... That long term is going to be a problem. In fact, we've had this explosion of what ADD kids. And I think part of the reason for that is, is because they can't concentrate on anything because they're so used to just being entertained image after image, second after second through screens and iPhones and all all the other kind of entertainment we have. Anyway, we're talking to Brett Kunkel. His book with John Stone Street is called The Practical Guide to Culture. It's very practical. A lot you can get out of it, so you ought to pick yourself up a copy. I'm Frank Turk. We'll talk more right after the break. Some other uh, very important subjects you're going to want to learn about from Brett, so don't go away. College campuses are hostile to the Christian faith, and three out of four young people walk away from the church once they go to college. That's why we go to college campuses and present I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist in the United States and even all over the world. When we do this, 
We don't charge students a dime. That's why we need your financial support. In fact, over the past couple of years, we've been able to grow dramatically because of your generous support. And 100% of your donations go to ministry. Zero percent go to building. So when you give to Cross-Examined, you'll be giving to help us go reach young people where they are. Would you consider giving today? Thank you so much, and thank you so much for what you've done already. What can you do to guide yourself and your child or grandchild through a culture filled with minefields and dangers? You can't keep them completely away from it. You can't isolate them from it, but you can inoculate them from it. And the Practical Guide to Culture will help you do that. Brett, before the break, we're talking to Brett Kunkel. He's the co-author of the Practical Guide to Culture. Brett, before the break, we were talking a little bit about a couple of things you can do when it comes to entertainment and your kids. One said you, The one thing you said was limit screen time. Um, how do you go about doing that? And what are some other ideas? So one thing you can do is you can, have, you can create screen-free locations. So, in, for example, in our home, what we do is that our kids know that we have just a basic rule, and it applies not just to the kids. It applies to mom and dad as well. But uh, one of our screen-free locations is the dinner table. Mm-hmm. Like There's no, uh, no screens at the dinner table uh, for any of us. We uh, also have uh, our, the kids' bedroom are to be screen-free locations. Uh, so, and that's just, you know, for some wisdom sake. So there's accountability so that they're, um, uh, everyone can see what they're on. Yeah. 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 They're not quietly in there on pornography or something like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and so you, you, you know, you create those kind of screen free locations, you take advantage of, uh, you know, maybe like a family road trip or, or vacation. What we've done with our kids is we've started off our vacations with, uh, you know, the first half of it being just a screen free time and and of course i parents have to be prepared with kids that are on screen so so often they'll they'll complain about it our kids certainly did you know and uh, and it just shows you just how how conditioned they are but it's it's amazing after they get over some of that initial complaint then um and they get through some of that oh i'm going to be bored kind of thing they uh they, they begin to find uh, better things to do. They they engage in different ways, or they re-engage uh, more relationally with the family. So they're you, you got to push through those things. You got to push through the complaints and create those screen-free times. And then here, here's a second thing I think we can do is not not just condemn it all the time, not just condemn the screen or you know uh, or or shut it off. But then I think it's it's really good if we can help actively engage like entertainment rather than just letting them uh, absorb it. So we help them to engage it. So for instance, sometimes there will be a movie that will have a, a, you know, a very clear message that I want to talk through with my kids. And so I'll watch the movie or I'll take them to the theater and we'll go see the movie together. But then I'll make sure that we carve out time afterwards to talk about it. And sometimes it is, uh, you know, it's a, it's a bad message. And I want them to learn how to pick up on the, the, the bad messages, the false messages that are coming through that narrative. Uh, sometimes it's a really good message. Like I, I couldn't wait till my, my oldest son, Micah, was, when he got older and I felt like he was ready to watch you know, Braveheart with me. I wanted to show him that movie 
and uh, and then discuss the the great themes there because that's a piece of entertainment where you'd say, hey, there's some really good stuff there. And so when we do that, we help our kids to actively engage it and 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 realize not all culture is bad. Uh, in fact, not all cultures that non-Christians make and create is bad. But there's this balance uh, between the good and the bad and helping kids to think for themselves so that ultimately, as we push them out there in culture, as they go out there, they can navigate it themselves. And so I think we want to think through, again, not just the protection, but also the training and equipping. So we can do that uh, uh, through their entertainment choices by actively engaging with those things, talking through a world Jewishly with them, reviewing, uh, reviewing, you know, song lyrics with your kids before you, uh, you know, you purchase songs or before the, you know, they, they, they download those songs. So those yeah, are fact, some practical, really practical things we can do. Yeah. In fact, in the, in the entertainment chapter, you have a list of questions that you can ask uh, a child when you're, You've just watched something together. You know, what is the main storyline or overarching theme? How are the characters portrayed? Who are the good guys? Who are the villains? How are the visuals used to illustrate and accentuate the storyline? What is the central conflict? Whom does it involve? How is it resolved and why? What's true according to the movie? What isn't? You know, in fact, I remember Oz Guinness talking about this. He, he, he would play some game with his kids or his grandkids called Spot the Lie. You know, you're watching a show together and say you see something on a TV and it's a, a premarital sex and there's no co- negative consequences. Everyone's happy. You might say, hey, what's the lie uh, talked about here? You don't have to get the Bible out. You just you just have a conversation with the kid. You say, what's wrong with with this uh, with this portrayal here? Uh, well, the lie is, is that premarital sex never hurts anybody. Well, it, it, everyone seems to be happy here. Is that always the case? No, not the case. Uh, you know, so spot the lie is a fun game to play. You've got several other suggestions here. You talk about helping your kids develop a reading habit, which is important. You guys put on your own theater, don't you? Your readers theater to explain what that's about. Yeah, we've done that in the past with our kids where we want to help them, um, develop a love for reading, right? We want them to, uh, to, of course, read scripture but also read books. And so the, the whole reader's theater idea was just a way, how do we, how do we help our kids, uh, you know, do this? And so we would, uh, we would take a night and actually I, I kind of headed this up in our home for a while where my wife would take the night off. And then the kids and I, and we, we started this when they're younger. Mm-hmm. Um, we would put on overcoats and sweaters and scarves and we'd make some good food. And, uh, and then we'd sit in the living room together and I would try to, you know, read, a, we'd read some kind of book. I'd usually try to read it, you know, really dramatically, or I'd, you know, come up with a, some kind of a British accent or something. And mm-hmm. we'd read, you know, C.S. Lewis or the Chronicles mm-hmm. of Narnia. Yeah. And it was just a, it, it was amazing kind of doing some of those traditions, make it something special. Mm-hmm. Uh, the kids really anticipated it. And when we wouldn't do it, they would say to me, Dad, why didn't we do Reader's Theater? And so it was just a way to create a tradition in our, our home that was centered around reading, that promoted reading that our kids could look forward to. And what, what, so what we're doing really is trying to create culture in our own home. And part of the culture that we want to develop in our home is where there's a huge value and a love for reading. And, uh, and for us, as we, you know, we homeschool our kids, uh, well, our kids have actually been in all 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 sorts of uh, schooling. They've been we've mm-hmm. done public, we've done private, we've done homeschooling. 
But one of the things that we have determined to do as parents is to pass on a love of reading to our kids. Uh, if we can do that, and then also maybe give them a, a good work ethic, right there, those two things will put them ahead of the game and it'll mm -hmm. give them tools that they can use to learn for themselves. So we got to help our kids develop habits of reading. Yeah, your goal as a parent is not to bring up good kids. Your goal as a parent is to bring up good adults. And uh, in order to do that, you've got to use some of the guidelines that both John Stone Street and my guest today, Brett Kunkel, put in a practical guide to culture. Reading is essential. By the way, you can't be a leader unless you're a reader because you can't learn everything by your own experience. You've got to learn most of what you know from other people's experience. And how do you do that? You learn by reading. And of course, the word of God is a book. <laughs> so you can, uh, you need to know how to read. In fact, you have an entire chapter in here, uh, Brett, uh, chapter 16, how to read the Bible. What do you talk about in there and why is that so important? Yeah, well, this is, I think, uh, hugely important. In, in the part three of the book, you know, we, we take these issues like uh, gender identity and same-sex marriage, and we talk about the lies of the culture, and then we contrast that with the biblical story, because we want to ground kids in the truth of Scripture, right? The, the, the Christian story is not a fairy tale. It's not a once upon a time. No, this is a the, the true story of the world. This is the accurate description of reality. Okay, so where do we get most of our information, uh, most of our knowledge about the world that we live in from the Scripture? And Scripture, and this is where I, I think a great question for parents to ask themselves is, number one, do they think and do they approach Scripture like Scripture gives them knowledge of reality? Right, not just you know, quote unquote faith. Does the Bible give me faith? Uh, but does it give us knowledge of reality? Christianity has always been a knowledge tradition, in that the Christian truth and the scriptures themselves give us knowledge, the facts of reality. And so, in order to access that, we have to know how to read the Bible properly. And you know, we have uh, we talked about in the the book this this kind of moral McNugget approach where we try to pull out one verse and then get some, you know, cool little uh, lesson from it. And that, that's, uh, that's, that's how our kids grow up learning to uh, consume Scripture, if you will, by these little bits and pieces. And it's not enough to sustain uh, a healthy diet of, you know, uh, uh, for the spiritual life. It's, and so it's, what we, yeah, it's not enough to sustain a healthy. It's not, even, it's not even the right diet because it's not true. As you say in here, and we're talking to Brett Kunkel, the book is a practical guide to culture. Um, you don't say it in these words, but this section says the same thing that I've, I've been saying for a long time now, and that, and that is there are no verses in the Bible, okay? Yeah. The verses were put there 500 years ago to allow us to navigate the scriptures, but we shouldn't be pulling out verses without knowing the context. And that's what you point out in here. You say, we read the Bible without recognizing the context. The practice of dividing the Bible into numbered chapters and verses gives the impression that the Bible is a collection of thousands of self-contained sentences and phrases that can be picked out or combined arbitrarily, writes Eugene Peterson. You're, you're, you're quoting Eugene here, who I think put together the, the Bible version, the message. In any event, that's exactly right. That's what we do. We pull out verses like Jeremiah 29, 11, and that's one of the ones you have in here, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. But we yank that out of context. What's the right context of that passage? 
Yeah. That, well, yeah, that we're talking about um, Israel's history. And, yeah. uh, and that's why, uh, you know, you, you've got to, you can't ignore the context. And, that, and that's one of the keys to help our kids start unlocking Scripture, is what is the, the context, who is this written to, to unlock the meaning. Because, of course, a verse uh, can't mean what it never meant. Right, and that's what we—that's what we do with scripture. So, yeah, in the in the in the in that chapter, we, we talk about ignoring the chapter and verse division. Read the Bible as it was written, and so when Paul sits down and he, you know, he he writes a letter to the Philippian church or to, to the Colossians. Well, read that whole thing with your family. In fact, uh, just a really practical thing that we've been doing in our home with our kids is just reading through scripture together. So we don't have any fancy curriculum. Uh, there's no real preparation that uh, my wife and I do. We just pull out our Bibles together, and then we start going through a book, and we will read large chunks. So what we might read, and then you know, a whole chapter or, or multiple chapters at a time. We're talking to Brett Kunkel, his new book with John Stone Street, a practical guide to culture. You need to get. It's very practical. Not only. Does he talk about scripture and entertainment? He talks about pornography, the hookup culture, sexual orientation, gender identity, affluence and consumerism, addiction, racial tension, so many other things. How to read the Bible, all that. We'll get to more of that right after the break. You're listening to Cross Examine with Frank Turek back in two minutes. If you find value in the content of this podcast, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can find more. Just type Cross Examine or Frank Turek on the search bar. Also, visit our website where we add new videos, articles, and free resources daily. So much of what our kids believe is influenced by their friends and what their friends do and what their friends think. And sometimes your fraternity will overcome your theology. And we see this particularly with regard to the sexual issues, same-sex marriage, the, uh, the issue of whether somebody perceives to self-identify as homosexual or gay. Um, we might and we're apt to say, well, I love that person. I want what's best for that person. I want to affirm what that person does. And so I'm going to side with what they want rather than with what God wants or what Scripture says. In fact, Brett, you uh, and we're talking to Brett Kunkel, his uh, new book, A Practical Guide to Culture, is what we're discussing here. Brett, you mentioned something earlier when you talked about setting up uh, the entire sort of outline for this book. You were talking about how when you take your child into a dangerous area, the first thing you need to do is protect them. And that's what God is trying to do. He's not putting prohibitions on us for prohibition's sake. When he says, don't do this or don't do that, he's trying to protect you from the negative consequences of actually doing that. And yet a lot of times what we'll do is we think we know better than God and we will go with what our friends want or what we want personally, not realizing that if we do it God's way, we will be protected. And if we don't do it his way, we're going to wind up in ruin so, Brett, in the book, The Practical Guide to Culture, you have several chapters that deal with sexuality because sexuality is such a big issue today. It's a big issue with regard to identity. Let's start by talking about what is the identity crisis and why are people so um, interested in gender identity? 
Yeah, this is a huge issue. And I mean, you said a number, I think, of important things there. Uh, this this issue has got to, we've got to talk about this with our kids because this this creates a wedge for kids and their faith. And I, I talk to kids all over the country now who they know someone personally. They know a friend at school who is starting to transition or a friend who identifies uh, as a, uh, you know, as a female and they're biologically male. And so what happens is that we, typically the typical church out there doesn't even address this, right? So we don't even talk about it. So what we communicate by not talking about it is that we just don't have anything important to say, or that scripture somehow is just silent on this. So by omission, we teach our kids, uh, that, that, that their faith is irrelevant to this topic, and uh, or we just we, we, we simplistically maybe quote a Bible verse or just say it's wrong or we, we don't give the reasoning behind it, and so then it becomes this wedge with kids where hey my my really good friend is going through this and I got a personal relationship with them with them and I care about them and yet my 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 faith or my church is saying this thing and it becomes this wedge issue so we've got to uh, we, we've got to deal with this. And identity, I mean, it's huge. And we've got a chapter, in fact, in the book called Identity After Christianity, where, uh, you know, it, 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 identity is no longer has Judeo-Christian roots. We have this, actually, identity crisis now where uh, we, uh, we, we've lost what it means to be human. And this is being played out in the whole transgender uh, conversation. Uh, when you lose what it means to be human, uh, when you can't properly identify what a human being is, and I, and I mean, think about it. You and I know, Frank, the cultural confusion on this, the culture doesn't even know what it means to be male or female. And when you get that wrong, when you get human nature wrong, then you'll get human flourishing wrong. You'll get human functioning wrong. And, uh, and, and this is what we say in the book, you know, ideas have consequences, but bad ideas have victims. And the whole gender identity conversation is a conversation that has victims at the end of the day. You know, it used to be that there was, uh, I believe there was just a single pediatric gender uh, clinic in the U.S. And now there's like 45. Mm. And this is where young people who are feeling like they are the opposite gender uh, are going in and getting puberty blockers. They're going in and, and starting to prep themselves for. Uh, you know, 18 years of age, when they can make the decision to start chopping off uh, healthy body parts. You know, they the, identify with the other gender. The whole contradiction that underlies all this too, Brett, is the fact that if there were no difference between the genders, nobody would be trying to transition. The very reason that if you're male and you think you want to be female is you recognize there's a difference between the genders. That's why you're trying to transition. And so, quite obviously, the entire movement presupposes that there are two fixed genders. <laughs> Otherwise, you wouldn't be trying to transition from one to the other. So, yeah, that's that's exactly right. If he, Frank, that's the kind of thing we need to point out to our kids, right? Mm-hmm. Our kids are made in God's image. Everyone's made in God's image, and part of that image means we have a rational mind. And so, what we want to do with some of these kind of things is number one, help our kids see the irrationality of such ideas to see the inherent contradiction in, in uh, the whole gender identity movement, uh, to see the absurdities, right? So where does it, where does it stop? 
we have great examples now, prominent examples in our culture of people who don't just want to change their gender identity, but you have, you know, Rachel Dolezal, who was a white woman who's identified as black and claimed to be black. And so does that make her a black woman? Mm. Uh, you have people in our culture who identify as animals and dress up as animals. And uh, so does that make them, you know, dogs? Of course not. And so these kind of absurdities are inherent in the ideologies. And when we help our kids see that and think through that and think through the ideas, we help protect them from being, uh, you know, pounded by that cultural wave. And I, what are some of the practical ideas you have in the book, A Practical Guide to Culture, for parents to deal with this identity crisis? Yeah, I've talked to parents this last year uh, at churches who come up to me and say, yeah, I've got a, a high school daughter, and she now is identifying as male. Um, I've had parents in tears with me. This is, this, is, this is real. And so there are parents out there who are dealing with this with their own kids. And I'll tell you what, one of the, the most practical things I can do is point you to, I think, one of the best uh, resources out there. Uh, there's a great ministry. Uh, it's called Living Hope Ministries. It's based in Texas. Uh, Ricky Shillette uh, is the head of that ministry. He does some good work in this area. But they have two really good DVDs or videos that parents can purchase. And it's a very simple title, very straightforward. Uh, why? Understanding Homosexuality and Gender Development in Males, and the second one is Understanding Homosexuality and Gender Development in Females. And I think those are, uh, I, would, I would love to be able to say every Christian family, every youth worker, every pastor out there should watch those videos and start getting a much better understanding of what's going on when it comes to things like same-sex attraction and gender development in males and females, and what what ends up going wrong such that a, a, a young man finds himself attracted to another male or begins to identify with femaleness, not maleness? Mm. Uh, so those, and I'll, just, uh, I'll, I'll push uh, that resource because I believe in it so much. It's, you can get it at livehope.org. There's Live a great Hope. resource. Okay. And right, what's, uh, you know, so for instance, I'll, you know, what, one thing that's, uh, Ricky says in uh, the talk on gender development in, in males is that, you know, you look at boys and you've got this different spectrum uh, of boys out there. You've got the, the rough and tumble boy. And, uh, you know, I, I personally, that was me growing up. I was more a rough and tumble boy. I was into sports. I was, you know, I loved to wrestle with my buddies and that kind of thing. But then you've got a, kind of the other side of the spectrum. You've got those boys that are more sensitive, right? That they're, they're, they're maybe not as uh, attracted to the, the athletic stuff. But they, you know, maybe the arts is more right. what they're, and, and they're just a more sensitive kid. Well, every boy needs at least, you know, three key things from their fathers or from the males in their their uh, in their lives. They need attention, uh, affection, and affirmation. And especially as you get more that, that boy who's more on the sensitive end of the spectrum, he really needs that from his father. And when he doesn't get those things. It creates such a big hole. Uh, he doesn't learn how to identify with his gender um, in, in ways that are healthy. And, uh, and, and so then maleness isn't nurtured. He might, mm -hmm. female might, might be, uh, femaleness might be nurtured. 
And so I think I think it starts with a good understanding of uh, of these kinds of things. I think uh, uh, you know moms and dads have got to spend time with their kids. I mean, this is this is cliche, right? But I I look in the culture and we are all so busy. We're overly busy, and so moms, it's so valuable and so important that they spend alone time with their girls and also with their boys. And for dads, the same thing. They've got to spend alone time uh, with their, their boys and their girls and to develop the, the stable, warm, affectionate relationships that kids so desperately need. So much of these the gender identity issues, the, the homosexuality issues, so much of them are rooted in the brokenness of human families. Mm. And so building healthy families is one of the best ways that you can inoculate your kids from these ideas. When they see uh, a healthy home, when they experience a healthy home, that in and of itself inoculates them from the bad ideas of the culture. Well, the book is called A Practical Guide to Culture. It's also, in my my estimation could be called a practical guide to your kid's heart. So you want to get this book. It's by Brett Kunkel and John Stone Street. And the subtitle is Helping the Next Generation Navigate Today's World. We've just covered a couple of topics uh, from a 10,000-foot level. you got to go deeper and get the book. Uh, and, Brett, it's great having you on. Thanks for being on the program. Yeah, I love what you're doing, Frank. Keep it up, man. Same here. And you can visit more or learn more about Brett at maventruth.com. That's maven, M-A-V-E-N, truth. Is it .com or .org? What is it, Brett? .com, maventruth.com. Maventruth.com. Check them out there, friends, and I'll see you here next week. Uh, In the meantime, check out the Fearless Faith course online. Hit crossexamine.org. Click on online courses, and I'll see you here next time. God bless. We work hard to create great content and deliver truth and valuable insights to all of our cross-examined podcast listeners. If you agree, take 30 seconds out of your busy schedule to leave us a five-star rating so more people like you can find us. Just look for the Cross-Examined official podcast, three words on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. We are truly grateful for your support. 